Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Episode eight for the In The Know Property Podcast. Frank, Head of Investment, joined again, as always. You're looking sharp, mate, too. Thanks, mate, good to be here, as always. Um, mate, I think at the end of the last episode, we said we were gonna dive into uh, interviewing some of the, the key people that you'd have in your dream team. But we've sort of switched that on the head because it's the end of the year and it's, yeah. you know, we're not very organized here, so. <laughs> we'll get to them. Yeah, so mate, I think in episode eight, to, to wrap up 2021, um, and this will obviously be the last episode of the year, let, let's talk through due diligence, which I think is something that people, Things quite easy, you know, like mm, it's very people, important. Yeah, it is very important. But most people go into you know a property transaction and go, I get the contract review, get a strata report, build it through, and she's done. But there's so many other things that go to it that look nine times out of ten, if you don't do these things, you're probably not going to get in trouble. But the one time you don't do them, <laughs> of course, there's issues, you know, and and sometimes depending on the property price, can it can cost you tens or hundreds or even millions of dollars if you don't do some things correctly. Now. With due diligence, you know, you've obviously got the standard one, Franks, which most people know, which would be your... Strata reports for, for units or any strata titled um, building or property, um, and you're building in pest inspection, obviously. Uh, contract yeah. review is, contract is obviously review. a standard one people get, um, but there, there's a lot more you need to add on top of that. So let, let's talk about the simple ones first. Like you said, strata report. So getting a strata report done, most good agents that sell um, you know, a lot of volume of property or have good processes, they usually get strata reports done for a lot of the buyers. So you can walk through a property and go, yeah, I want to do more DD into this and it's readily available for you. Um, now, most of these reports are designed in a way that leaves very limited liability with the person who does the report. Yeah, so course. something to be conscious of is if you're looking at buying a property and you're relying on reports that have all been organized by the person selling the property, <laughs> Not saying this does happen, but it can happen. They can be favoured in a way that looks after the vendor. Of course, yeah. So, you know, what we usually do is, is make sure we're getting independent reports for us by people that we know and trust. So making sure that you've got a really good, you know, person you can trust with strata reports or, or, or a company that's been referred to you by someone who's used them in the past who is doing the report looking through your lens, not through the vendor's lens. Of course, yeah. Um, same as, as pest and building reports, you know, having a builder that goes through, that's been organized by the vendor or by the real estate agent, they say, oh mate, make sure you just don't open the, open the door in bedroom four, we don't, we need to glaze over that one. There or, was furniture blocking that manhole, we couldn't get in there, you know, because building and pest inspectors, exactly. you know, they always use that one. Exactly right, or we couldn't get into the roof because of X, Y, and Z reason, the access under the house is a little bit tight, so we couldn't check <laughs> the, you know, the piers and whether there was any damp issues. Um, so again, making sure that you've got a, a builder uh, or a pest and, and building inspector who is reliable and you can trust and who's been engaged by yourself, not by, not by the vendor. Um, and some really common things I think to look at um, with strata reports, Frank, you love your apartment, so I think it's probably yeah. something that you should run through. <laughs> well, strata reports, you know, what, what we're really looking for here is um, issues with the building, um, if you like, you know, and, and it even, you know, they, they include in there, I, I believe, the last five years of, of annual general meeting minutes. So in there will bring up any uh, neighborhood disputes. Um, obviously, um, strata and let's, you know, a block of units has a mix of renters in there. So investors uh, who own those properties and owner occupiers and, and usually the disputes are between the owner occupiers. But you want to know, um, you know, what is that, um, the, the mood of, of that uh, body corporate, if you like, you know, are they keeping the, you know, the unit block, you know, 
up to scratch with the repairs and maintenance and the mm. capital improvements you know are they looking after the building at the end of the day because even as an investor you're not going to be living there but you want to ensure that your asset is protected and that you know it, they're looking after the, the block if you like so um, a couple of the main things that uh, you have in there is obviously you know where are your strata fees going there's going to be strata fees that you have to pay on a quarterly basis um, we obviously have uh, you know, the admin side of things and what used to be called the sinking fund uh, back in my day, now called the capital works fund. So the admin fund is to look after all the administrative expenses throughout the year. Um, and that usually runs pretty lean. If they will budget for $30,000, you know, that's usually what they're budgeting for, for that year. And they'll just, you know, put the fees, the strata fees accordingly, split between all the unit holders. Uh, for the Capital Works Fund, that's like, you know, putting money aside for a rainy day for when you need to replace the windows or the waterproofing on the, on the um, roof or the, you know, upgrade the lift if there's a lift in the building and things like that. Mm. So. One of the things I like or that I like to look for is that that capital works fund has a lot of money in it because at the end of the day, there's no adjustment when the transfer of ownership happens. If you sell you know, your unit to me, Jack, you've been paying strata levies for many years. I walk in, I take that money or basically you know, it's there, I pick it up. So it's free money if you like. So we wanna ensure that that capital works fund um, is, is flush, the, the, the higher it's flush with cash, means that less I have to put in, less possibility of a special levy. Um, and speaking of special levies, you know, so special levies are things like where, you know, the lift needs to be replaced. So there's a 120 grand lift that needs to be replaced. There isn't enough work, uh, money in the capital works fund or they don't want to completely deplete it. So they say to everyone, everyone's going to have to chip in five grand or whatever your share is based on the size of your unit. Um, and that's, you know, can, and those special levies can sometimes be more. They could be 10, 20 or 30 grand if the whole building needs to be repainted. I had a, um, and I had things a, like that. in one of my complexes in, in Newcastle, we had a special levy and that was half a million bucks. So, you mm. know, split between six units, do the maths. <laughs> that's, that's right, yeah. I knew about that buying into it and, and, and I factored that into the negotiation when I bought the price. Exactly right, but, yeah. You know, that, they can be significant. Um, and, and, you know, special levies are usually raised when they haven't had a good capital allocation budget set out. They usually get them done every 10 years and it mm. makes them say, well, over this next 10 years, we estimate that we're gonna have to spend X, Y, and Z on all of these things. Yeah. And that's how they determine what your quarter is. The, the building needs to be painted every 10 years. Yeah. So it was last painted five years ago. It's due in five years time. That's gonna be 150 grand put that in there, you know, so you get someone in to do that for you. Yeah, um, and usually the special levies are for things that they didn't budget for. So they that's go, right, oh, yes. Shit, we forgot about that one. So all of a sudden we're gonna have to raise this money. Yeah, um, so for exa example, I, I own a property um, in a waterside suburb that has a seawall that is part of the property of the unit block. One in a hundred years, you know, the seawall's been there for over a hundred years. It's now starting to deteriorate. So this seawall is gonna be anywhere from 350 to 500,000. You know, it's in a, in a block of just under 30. So everyone's got to split into that, you know, and, mm. um, and pay for it. And that, that's a special levy. Yeah. So they're all the things. So it's like whether the building's harmonious, how the, how the strata, um, strata plan has been run, how they've been allocating the money, whether they've been doing continuous maintenance on the building. So you, you're very unlikely to have special levies in the future. Mm. Looking for things like whether they've had any special levies done in the past and what they were on. Um, just to give you a holistic view on how the building has been run and, and, and That's right, yeah. you know, the likelihood of having issues in the future. And, and just on those strata fees, I know a lot of investors, a lot of people don't like strata fees. Oh, why do I have to pay strata fees? Um, you know, it's, it's looking after the building, your asset that you're going to own. Now, sometimes people go, well, the strata fees are, you know, a real estate agent might say, the strata fees are really low on this one, they're really low. 
yes, okay, well that's maybe not a good thing. Are they low because they haven't been putting enough money into the Capital Works Fund and therefore mm. when you look at it, there's, there's not a lot of money in there. Um, and when you look at the building and you know, look at that 10 year report, you think, well, is that enough to, to look into it? And that's because the owners or whoever's agreed, you know, the owners of the building have agreed, well, let's keep the, the strata fees down. But mm. at the end of the day, that could come to you know, bite you in the bum, so to speak, when you then might have to fork out a, a, a 50 grand special levy. It so, catches up with you. With yeah, that. so you want to, you know, you, you, the, the levies are you putting money aside into your own assets. So having levies that are reasonable or slightly higher is not often, is not often a bad thing. And if you're a long-term investor, which you should be, you know, the money's gonna be there for, you know, you will get the benefit of, of it over the long term. Exactly right. And then if we flip, flip that onto, you know, pest and building reports, um, again, pest and building reports are written in a way that holds the inspector to very limited liability, right? So they're writing them in a way that covers their ass. And they also write them in a way that if you don't know how to uh, decipher them and you don't understand their lingo, they can be very scary. You know, some people look at pest and oh, building reports and go, ah, oh, shit, the building's falling down. When in reality, you get on the phone with the builder, you understand what questions to ask. That's right, yeah. And I don't think I've ever looked at a building in pest inspection and thought, well, maybe I shouldn't buy this property. Yeah. Um, but then, like you said, get on the phone with the building and pest inspector and they say, yeah, that's normal, that's normal. It's just the language they have to use, I suppose. Exactly. So I think really big things with pest and building reports is the integrity of the roof, because obviously the roof of, of a house. The, is yeah, the, the structure integrity of, yeah. the, of the house as a, as a whole wouldn't it be yeah for sure so roof structure integrity of the house um, you know the bathrooms and whether there's dampness and obviously leaking waterproof is something that um, is very common in a lot of older homes and yeah. making sure that there there is good integrity with the waterproofing because it can be very expensive to replace bathrooms you know little things like that window latch is broken and that <laughs> floorboards a little bit creaky and like you know that paints peeling they pick all that shit up in these reports and it yeah. just, it's its not worth your time. No. Um, and obviously termites is the, either is it on the pest side of things. Yeah. You know, the, you know, and sometimes you'll say, oh yeah, there were signs of borers or something like that. And again, it's about, well, you know, is a borer gonna cause me damage or, and they'll say, no, that's normal for this area and things like that. That's right, whether they're active, you know, how long ago they were active. Yeah. Um, something underneath the property that is very important is obviously the, the, the piers and the integrity of the piers, because piers can be very expensive to, to replace and houses that are probably, you know, anywhere from 30 to 80 years old, um, there's settlement in the ground and piers that were put into the ground 50 years ago. That's right, yeah. And ventilation is another one that I often <laughs> see. I've never seen a building, you know, pest report that said it had great ventilation. Yeah. They always say they've got inadequate ventilation. You need to get a motorized fan down there. And I'm like, well, the house has been standing for a hundred years without a motorized fan. All of a sudden it needs one. And these are just things that they say, well, look, that would be in, in a perfect scenario. You would put one there, yeah. but you know, just keep an eye on it. Drainage and, like and that. that sort of stuff. So again, they're the type of things you look for in a pest and building report. But my advice around the pest and building report is to buy it, then get on the phone with the reporter and go, how many properties have you inspected? I mean, if it's one of you engaged, you know how many properties have been inspected in mm. the area. They don't need to be experts in the kinds of properties that they're looking at, understand how it sits in comparison to all the other homes in the area that they've inspected recently. Um, and they give you, a, you know, an estimate as to what it would likely cost to fix these problems. And, yes. and, and a lot of the time, it's not as bad as they make out. No, so, but we shouldn't downplay it. It is a necessity. I wouldn't buy a house without getting a building course. and pest report, because like you said, it's that one in a hundred one that does have structural issues or you know that you know that you want to be sure that that's not the one you're one, buying with, without a doubt and that's why we think we need to do these things but do not get scared away by no, some of the language no. but you know the, the, the time you don't do it and go oh, well at the end of the day property in my time we don't need to get one done at the end of the day you've got to look at it like this it's you know you could be spending a million to two million if not more on on this property 
to get a building and pest report done, which is what, a couple of hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks, even if it's a thousand dollars, it's a small, small, minute percentage of the, you know, the cost. Pretty good of, insurance policy, if you ask me. Exactly, it's like an insurance policy. It's the cost of buying the property. You're not gonna spend three and a half million, a million, two million, whatever it is on a property and not spend the, the few hundred bucks to, you know, do the due diligence, which is what we're talking about. Of it's course. A, it's, a, it's, it's all part of the cost. It's a no brain, yeah. Um, Obviously, that goes hand in hand with those, which everyone probably knows, obviously your contract reviews. Um, we're not experts in legal, but let me tell you from my experience and, and all the transactions that we do, there's a lot of conveyances and a lot of solicitors out there that you know take their time, they waste time on points that are not relevant, they try and throw their weight around because that's what you're paying them to do. Um, so you need to get a, a lawyer or, or a conveyancer that actually understands contracts, what things yes. they should push back on, what things they shouldn't push back on. And, um, you know, obviously a big part of that is the planning certificate inside of the, the contract, understanding the zoning, where it sits, whether it's in any bushfire prone land, whether are there it's any, in mines. Are there any easements land. running through the property, yeah. especially if you're planning on, you know, if you've got a big block of land of, you know, planning on pushing out into the backyard, you don't want to be running into to easements and things like that. So Exactly, all that stuff. And then, you know, we obviously buy a lot of property in Newcastle. Newcastle is, is, is obviously... A, a city that used to be known for its mining, um, and a lot of land in the, the sort of in a, in a Newcastle bubble is is mine subsidence. And councils now have, have all the council Newcastle council has changed in recent years that if you want to do developing on some land and there is mine subsidence there, you then need to do potholing and core filling, and you need to you know fill up all the mine subsidence that may not have been used for a hundred years, mm -hmm. but now they're making you do that. So not understanding that, and you know, if you are going to do a build down the track or a development or something like that, you can all of a sudden eat into your your margin because you've got to go spend a sure. hundred thousand dollars on, um, you know, on, on filling these these mine subsidence um, shafts down in the ground. So all of that type of stuff. Obviously, title search is very very important. Um, Something that people, I wouldn't say, do a lot of um, is understanding the surrounding properties around mm. you and, and, and what's happening with those. You know, very few people go onto council websites, understand what, what DAs have been lodged in the surrounding suburb or the surrounding uh, streets, um, what impact that may or may not have on your well, property. Well, especially if you've got a view yeah. uh, and you're not right on the water's edge. Um, exactly. You don't want to you know, be looking out of, from your balcony thinking that's a great distant ocean view only to have uh, another building pop up in front of you one day. Exactly. <laughs> or and look, in the near future. Legally speaking, real estate agents have to make you aware of things that they know that would impact the property in the future, but proving whether a real estate agent well, you want or not. <laughs> often they don't know. So exactly. if they don't know, how can they tell you? So Yeah, so quick searches on, on you know, like the most councils have a planning portal online. So searching up addresses, making sure that there hasn't been any DAs lodged or, or, or approved recently, um, just gives you that peace of mind. Not saying that can't happen in the future, but mm. understanding when you're buying it is obviously um, a pretty crucial part of it all. And then on the current property, um, making sure that there is no unapproved works that you are unaware of. Because sure. a lot of people do unapproved works and look, it's not always a bad thing, but you know, for example, we were looking at purchasing a property in Newcastle. Um, the guy was an owner builder, went through, got the DA, was actually a CDC, submitted, all approved, uh, did all of the works and, and did it to an extremely high uh, spec. But because he was a builder, you know, sort of bypassed a few mm. few areas and never got an OC at the end, which is an occupation certificate, right, which yeah. is what the council requires for you to legally occupy the space. Now they'd been living there 
because he did the work and yeah. all was dandy, he moved back in <laughs> and, and thought nothing of it. And a few years later, obviously wanted to sell the property. There's no occupation certificate. Legally speaking, you're allowed to sell a home without an occupation certificate. And, and then to go back and try and reinstate and get the occupation certificate, sometimes it's not possible because a lot of the stuff that the, the, the certifiers come out and inspect is now covered in concrete or, or inside walls. Um, so you can get you know building certificates, which probably another episode, but that's the council yeah. coming and saying. And in your example, this unapproved works was done by a builder. Um, often it may not be done by a builder. It's someone who's just a handyman. So you want to firstly find out, you know, is that second story, you know, or that loft over the garage approved? Um, if it's not, well, you'd certainly want your building inspector having a really close look at it to make sure that it is structurally sound and um, to code, if you like. Mm. Um, and then you can get builder certificates, which then the council essentially says, we know the works are unapproved, but we're not going to make you rip it down, down the track. Um, but super, super important because if you buy a property thinking that all of these things are approved um, and then they're not, mm. that can significantly Im impact the value of the property. And nine times out of 10, you're going to be paying a premium for these yeah. things. You know? Well, you know, worst, worst case scenario, the council could come and ask you to tear it down. Absolutely. There was a, there was a, a purchase last year um, from another agency in, in, in Sydney where that happened. So mm. they, they bought a terrace and they'd added this third bedroom to the terrace and done all of this stuff and the, the, the works were not approved. Mm. And luckily they never settled on the property. They found this out during the settlement period and they right. exchange unconditionally. And you know, in some contracts, there's different clauses where if there is an issue that with up to 5% of the property value, you're able to rescind um, and, and that happened. But you know, you, you're talking hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars if you don't do this one very, very easy and, and, and sometimes overlooked thing. Yeah. Um, and mate, I, I would say they're probably some of the biggest and some of the, the most common ones that, that we come up against. Yeah, um, zoning um, is another one. You want to yeah. be assured, you know, this property you're buying, what is the zoning of that property and the surrounding properties? Um, not only, you know, also for potential, you know, future capital gain that, you know, you might want to develop on it. Mm. You know, is it zoned to allow for, you know, a duplex or medium, you know, is it medium density, is it high density? Um, obviously, that's often, you know, uh, reflected in the in the purchase price you're about to pay for it anyway. Um, you know, so if you're, a, you know, a budding developer or if you are a developer, you want to know what the zoning is. So. Of course, yeah. And then, you know, if you're an owner-occupier, for example, sometimes having zonings that, you um, appeal to developers down the track is not actually always a good thing no, because the surrounding properties yeah. you know you could be in a beautiful um, home on an R3 zoned block and all the other blocks on the street are R3 zoned all of a sudden mm. next door you had a beautiful house and then three yeah. years later now you've got townhouses you've got a block that, of six townhouses here or, or duplexes around you and you know if you're an owner occupier you may, may not like that more cars in the street yeah you know. it affects the street appeal of your property as mm. well so you know None of these things are rocket science. No. All of these things you can get done by experts. I wouldn't go and review a contract by yourself. No, that's right. They're, they're not things we need to do ourselves. Yeah. You know, like you said, you, you outsource these things to experts who are used to doing it every day. That's their living, they're experts in it. It's just a matter of, you know, ticking all of those due diligence boxes, all those things we've just been through to make sure you do do them and not to skimp on the cost and go, well, that's gonna cost me another two to three grand. So what when you're spending yeah. millions of dollars on property, you know? Exactly, and I think one last one, Frank, which isn't essential, but if you're out there buying property by yourself, especially in areas where you may not be familiar with, like especially if you're an investor and you're a borderless investor, substantiating value is something people struggle with. Guide prices, mm. sale price is very, very different and, and, and understanding how something sells for that price and why is, it, it can be very challenging. So 
Um, if you're able to buy into a cooling off period, getting independent valuations done yourself, you know, paying an independent value of 600 bucks to go and value their professionals, they understand the marketplace, they can value a property, and again, that's essentially an insurance policy. I know there's buyers agents in Sydney who don't buy any property as part of their policy that they don't get an independent valuation done mm. prior to that, and that then gives them their range as to what they're happy to spend. Sure. So again, very, very easy, but you know, commonly overlooked. Mate, well that's it. Sounds sounds like uh, that's us done for the year, I reckon. Yeah, we'll great go year. and kick, kick the feet up, <laughs> drink some beer, and um, mate, we'll come back in January and get stuck in again. Nice one. Merry Christmas.